1: Do you have somebody cancel or something? No, you know, There's no way somebody didn't pick this. <laughs>
2: nice little Hoosker poster there over your shoulder.
1: Yeah, check this out,
2: dude. Oh, look at that, man. Huh?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a big big Do fan. So.
2: Yeah, not surprising. You seem to like almost every band that uh, of at least one or two records, right? I, I'm amazed at how many different... Because uh, I, I think I have a pretty wide palette, right? But then when I yep. talk to someone like you, and, and it's just like, well, I guess I'm just kind of a novice... Uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah you see all these you see all these cases behind me those are full of cds and yeah. there's three more over here and then i've got vinyls elsewhere so yeah mm. i've spent way too much money on music over my yeah you know
2: makes lifetime. you happy right And know exactly. is, is that eddie head is that just like a head or is that the one there wasn't there one that like actually held cds in it
1: oh i think there was but that's actually a mask okay a couple of years ago they had some company that put out a couple of different eddie masks and of course i had to buy one nice for no reason at
2: all All right. I'm talking to uh, Kevin Williams of the In Obscuria podcast. Uh, Thank you for joining Whatever Never Mind, Kevin. How are you?
1: I am good, man. I'm stoked to be on and stoked for this episode.
2: This is a big record for me, man, so I was definitely looking forward to this one. They're they're funner when it's one that you don't have to do a lot of listening research, at least it is for me, Uh, even though I still end up doing a deep dive on the record a few times leading up to it just to make sure I I can remember everything properly. But this album, uh, it wasn't too far from any CD player I had for I don't know a, a couple of years, so right on.
1: Absolutely, when it was I, and I've had I've had like um, I don't know at least four different copies of this thing over the years. <laughs> I don't know about you, but
2: I, oddly enough, only two. I had the original release, and then I I upgraded for that Psalms edition or whatever that Satanos I, Siciliamos. Oh, I lost your audio. What's that? You froze, so it was all I saw was oh. the CD for a second. We, oh. what, what were you we saying? <laughs>
1: I was saying I got this from B and G. I don't know okay. if you remember that. B&G, yeah, oh yeah. You did, you I, I get have... your one penny records.
2: Yeah, I, I, well, they were they were free for me. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> right.
3: <laughs>
1: and then of course I had to pony up for the uh, the latest vinyl copy of it as well.
2: That's uh, you know, on a mic, kind of like maybe I'll buy it because I see it every now and then, and it looks pretty fucking sweet. Uh, have you busted it out and played it?
1: Oh yeah, I played it today actually. It sounds great. It's red vinyl. It's, it's super beautiful
2: now the ultra mega okay they actually did the whole hardcore dial down and remixing properly with jack and dino is it the same kind of thing with that or is it just like a remaster do you know the the backstory there at all i i don't
1: know i think it's just remastered because there's nothing there's nothing significantly different about it when i hear it to my ears at least it, it doesn't have like i have the ultra mega okay version as well but no this is not that the only thing this had was a lenticular cover you know big whoop
2: yeah Oh, that's pretty cool though are you a blue collar man when it comes to beer, or what are you drinking there? Is it some kind of snooty asshole stuff? What do you got?
1: <laughs> I have Mexican beer, man. Oh, Pacifica. Oh, I, I, can, I
2: can hammer a few of those down without uh, too big of a, a complaint. Yeah.
1: Exactly. I couldn't decide between this or the Coors Light tonight, so I went with the Pacifica.
2: <laughs> I just grab what's in the fridge, and it's almost always Coors Light. You dig deep enough, right. you'll get some uh, uh, leftovers from all the random stuff I buy here and there. But.
1: Exactly. I have some of the frou-frou stuff, but I, I just go
2: for this. <laughs> for are we going to see you in Nashville this summer?
1: Yeah, man. We're going to be there. Both yeah. I, I told my... Both of us, yeah. And I told my co-host, I said, we'll at least get, you know, either the kids' table in the back or maybe <laughs> the, the table in the bathrooms that's for the new guys.
2: But- oh, right on. Uh, oh, man. But, but uh, back to, uh, back to yeah, we, do we even say the album we're talking about today, Soundgarden, uh, their third record. Uh, I guess I should officially say coming in at number two on Rolling Stone's greatest grunge albums of all time is the 1991 record from Soundgarden, Bad Motorfinger. This was released uh, September 24th, 1991. It was produced by Terry Dayton Soundgarden. It comes in at a pretty girthy 57 minutes and 42 seconds. Recorded at A&M Studios in Los Angeles. And uh, had the singles Outshined and Rusty Cage. This also featured bassist Ben Shepard, who replaced technically Jason Everman, but he was kind of a fill-in between Hiro Yamamoto, who played with them up uh, up through Louder Than Love, and most of that tour, and then uh, Jason Everman kind of filled in for a while, and then it just wasn't a good fit, apparently, and they got Ben Shepard, who uh, has the lowest guitar-to-crotch ratio that I can think of, uh, of almost anybody. Uh, kind of a cool look, if you ask me, but... Yeah, this record man was was one of the biggest ones of this movement i i got into this more than nirvana um but to me it was outshine that really really pulled me in i had already heard louder than love because i worked at the college radio station but only because of that it was a record i would play and this was really a next big step for them uh where were you as far as timeline when this came out as far as getting into it
1: did you know that this i read something now. This may not may or may not be right but I read something that this came out the same day as Nirvana's Nevermind and Red Hot Chili Peppers' Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Is that true?
2: As far as I can confirm, I read the same thing, and I read something else saying that this came out one month later. All I can really
4: say is that I have no idea.
2: Uh, uh, every, the, I found more information saying they all, those three came out on the same day.
1: I mean, oh, my God. Yeah, no That's doubt. crazy. That is crazy. But yeah, so me, I was a freshman in college when this came out. So I was, I grew up kind of a punk rock kid, skater kid. And then I discovered Iron Maiden and Metallica and and got way into metal and ultimately got into hair metal. And when I started my college freshman year, I, you know, I had this crazy collection of hair metal, thrash metal, punk, uh, even prog rock, so I was all over the board even back then. But it was just an age of discovery for me because I was discovering all these different types of music. And when this came out, um, I, if it came out on the day that, that we were saying, I got Red Hot Chili Peppers' Blood Sugar Sex Magic, and that's probably my favorite album of the '90s, hands down.
2: It's mm, a good one.
1: My roommate got Soundgarden Bad Motorfinger on cassette because we had heard the single. Right. And he got that. And we just together we that's what we would do is we'd each buy something different so we could, you know, have more music in our mm-hmm. in our dorm room. And I just remember being blown away because prior to that, I I had heard of Soundgarden and I had seen ads for Loudder Than Love and Rip magazine or something like that. And I knew that they were on SST, which is a you know punk rock label that I loved, but I'd never really tried to get into them. I hadn't really heard them. So hearing this album for the first time, it just blew me away, and of course, it made me immediately go out and buy "Louder Than Love" like the
2: next day. So, they, yeah, this, they're very different records, man.
1: They are, but you know, at that time, I was trying to be the snotty cool kid and and have the stuff that, <laughs> that came time. out before. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not much has changed; I'm just <laughs> older. Um, yeah, I was trying to I was trying to prove my my cool points by like, mm. yeah, well, I got louder than love. I got the old stuff. Same thing with Irvana. I didn't buy never mind. No, I went out and bought bleach oh, because I man. thought that'd give now myself some man. Cool that's ones. the move. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't say that I had either of those prior to their big you know releases coming right. out. So
2: it I, I enjoyed Louder Than Love, and I still do, but this was just such a sonic step forward. And I don't know if it was the addition of Ben Shepard. They do give him a lot of credit for kind of changing how they approach songwriting with this record as a, as opposed to years prior but um i mean also i mean chris cornell was like just at a zenith level as a creator i mean the, the, he's coming off the louder than love tour he does the temple of the dog album and 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 he writes this fucking masterpiece you know it's just like i don't know he had help and all that stuff but my god he, everything he did touched everything he touched turned gold during this time and he could do no wrong in my eyes. I had more than a man crush for this, this guy. Uh, I mean, he, he was uh, easy on the eyes, you know, looked good. (laughs) (laughs) I I joke about it. Seriously, where does he get off? I mean, he's taller than everybody, better looking than everybody. He's in fucking amazing shape and not a single person on the planet can touch him as a singer at this time. Fuck you, Chris Cornell.
1: Exactly. What an asshole. Too much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I agree, man. And he, um, I mean, his voice, to me, never sounded as good as this album. I know a lot of people probably argue that the next album, he would he would be better. But I would say he never sounded as good as this one, again.
2: And I've never thought about it because, I mean, he sounds so good on Super Unknown and on Temple the Dog. He just is just doing some amazing. But this record, there's not a bad note on it as far as him singing. It's just, man, he and he's no. so versatile, but.
1: And this is kind of the last time, if you think about it, that some of that higher register stuff that he's hitting in this album, he doesn't really approach that again. And of course, he kind of left all that behind yeah. once he moved on to Audioslave. But yeah, definitely, even yeah. on the, the albums after this, he, I don't think he ever hit those high highs again.
2: This this was where he kind of showcased it, but you know, I mean that that shit probably sucks to go back to, you know, <laughs> almost like uh, Metallica following up Injustice for All with the Black Album. It's like let's just play some like standard rock classics for a while. This uh, this nine minutes of riffing is a bit much, but yeah. and, and Lars can't keep up anymore. <laughs> well,
1: and they decided to include some bass guitar as well, which yeah, which uh, I liked.
2: That's that's helpful. <laughs> Uh, the, the album title bad motor finger is supposedly is a joke on the mantra song, bad motor scooter. Um, okay. Good enough. I just think it's a really cool word for a spark plug. If you ask me,
1: I actually thought it was a middle finger. I always thought that the spark plug and the bad motor finger, I thought that was them saying, this is kind of a middle finger phrase. I don't know. That's, it must not be true. That's just how I read it. Cause if you look at a spark plug, it kind of does look
2: like, a yeah, bird. it really does. It kind of has that shape, you know, it's right there in the middle too. And, um, it was certified platinum in uh, January of 93 so so kind of a slow grower really as far as record sales it didn't hit double platinum until April of 96 so sales wise Superknown is their biggest record but I, I I for me I think it's obvious why this one is number 2 on this list and not uh, and not Superknown and I think they're both amazing re- albums but it's not all about sales man a, cu- a couple things from reviews um Spin magazine uh, uh, a woman named Lauren Spencer said uh, basically, they draw on older hard rock influences without sounding derivative. I think that's an excellent way of describing this band, um, especially at this time in this record. There is a ton of like, especially Black Sabbathy or even Zeppelin kind of feel to it. But at no time do you feel like yep. you're listening to Sabbath or or uh, or, or Led Zeppelin or any other kind of influences. You know what I mean? Even fucking Fleetwood Mac would probably seep into their brain a bit
1: yeah and i would even say I, I made a note in one of the songs where they get you know they get a little proggy in some of these some oh, of these bits and i even sure. reference i even reference king crimson they kind of have a little king crimson vibe in, in some parts
2: yeah I'm, I'm leaning on you for the more obscure references i'm just gonna knock it out of the, with the uh, led <laughs> zeppelin and, and shit okay. like that uh, black sabbath you know the easy the easy ones. so you're the host of the inobscuria podcast you got to come up with the obscuria uh, I'll, I'll try. i bring in the fire, baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh and then I also like to mention when I have it, my favorite uh uh crusty record reviewer Robert Christigo was less impressed by this album. Of course uh he was. Uh the Village Voice writer at the time. Um I wonder if Robert Christigo is still alive. I'm not sure. He's, <laughs> he sounds like an old fucking man in 91. Uh he says this was a credible metal record because of Thale's impressive use of guitar noise, but less impressive lyrically. Chris Cornell howls on about looking for the paradigm in your Jesus Christ pose. I swear that's the good stuff. So, yeah, Robert Christigo, the old stick in the mud. Uh, oh, Not not one that you gets invited to a lot of parties, that Mr. Christigo.
1: Yeah, completely disagree. I think the lyrics in this album are fantastic.
2: Man, I, Cornell is one of the better lyricists. Of all time, I think I don't even want to just say for grunge. I just think he he definitely has a oh an elite level of of not just the lyrics but the melody and then and fitting to the music and just I don't know it, you're trying too hard if you're if you're gonna nitpick or critique those in a negative way. But um, and one last thing I'd like to say is Buzz Osborne, uh, whose band is largely the Melvins, are, is largely considered the you know by many people this is what fucking grunge is so he says this is his favorite grunge album of all time officially ending any debate on whether or not this is a grunge record there's been a lot of fun talk about that like with many of the records you know people want to say well i don't know if this really belongs on this list that kind of stuff but
1: um, have you listened to it it belongs on this list absolutely yeah this is so
2: well fuck man yeah Yeah, I haven't heard that about this record in particular, but I like the fact that if Buzz Osborne is saying this is fucking grunge, it's a grunge album. Well, uh, any other thoughts on the album before we get into it? No, man, Let's, let's dive in. The record opens up with Rusty Cage.
1: Amazing Cornell vocals right out of the oh. gate, and I would say this is for the the albums that are at least on this top five list that you've been going through. This is the perfect album opener of any of these other albums.
2: Let's Without. see. So we're talking Nevermind. Uh, spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> Ten. <laughs> if people haven't figured out Nevermind's number one at this point, they're not they're <laughs> paying attention. Oh uh, yeah. So we got uh, Nevermind. So he opens up with uh, Teen Spirit you have rusty cage uh what's the uh uh once is the opener on on 10 whole uh violet right i don't, I don't know <laughs> um, <laughs> and, 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 Never owned and, it. and with green river yeah it doesn't excuse it's me? not even going through that record i found out it's not even we're not sure what the first song is so yeah, hands down, it it beats all those. I would put Once number two, and everything else. Don't really care. Although, I mean, I shouldn't shit on Nirvana because I'm not a fan. Teen Spirit is an amazing opening track. I mean, I use that kick drum yeah. at the beginning of my show here, But not the that whole little drum fill that uh, girl has there, but iconic as hell. And what a way to to launch that album. But
1: agreed. And I'll say for. This being Ben Shepherd's first recorded output with Soundgarden, my God, the bass tone on this album phenomenal, <laughs> just crushing the tone that he gets.
2: Playing with a pick on this tune too. He's not normally a pick player, but he- yeah this song y- you really need that you know what i mean that for this you kind of need that a uh, just heart attack it really wouldn't work yep. with that that uh i'm sure some bass player purist would would hammer me for that but he's they're wrong uh, well
1: i'm a bass player that plays with a pick, so fuck everyone else though.
2: yeah <laughs> When I play bass, I play with a pick, but that's largely because I'm not a bass player. But I, I always like I just, that sound. I like the crispness. I prefer it. But I, there's times that I get that I've played with, with really, I mean, our, the bass player in my band doesn't use a pick and he's, he gets amazing tone and stuff. But if we played this song, you'd have to fucking pick up a pick, man.
1: I, I don't know what else to say about this song. I, I'll go ahead and show my hand a little bit. I, I mean, this album to me, the first side is almost perfect. Yeah. I, I would just go ahead and say that. It's, I mean, we're going to go through the songs, but this is a, from a right out of the gate first couple of songs, you just can't beat it.
2: Me. Well, I'll mention a couple of things. And uh, it, it, to me, it is one of the greatest riffs, pretty much, that you ever hear. And it's made better with, with the harmony. The, the, there's actually three layers. Uh, of different, slightly different, um, um, they're all high up, but you know they they're just uh, to give you that that harmony sound that you hear. Uh, I, when they play it live, I do, they obviously just play pick two of those, but uh, it's got that oddball tuning that basically this record really was their calling card going forward. They would use some drop D in the past, but this this song I think is drop B, um, right? Uh, and then of course you know they end with that kind of odd time signature. Matt Cameron, the brilliance of Matt Cameron is just, I mean. I don't like to throw this term around lightly. Underrated. That guy deserves to be talked about in <laughs> the, the 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 realm of uh, Neil Pert and Alex Van Halen. He is just. I don't know. I don't know if you're a guy who can pick this stuff up. I I think it's fun. I try to. I'm guessing that they, that imparts four seven, but I honestly I couldn't get it for sure.
1: Oh God, no! Don't ask me to do time signatures. <laughs> I I love prog rock, but no, don't ask me to do math. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah. So Matt Cameron, I mean, he did play on Getty Lee's solo album, so that that tells you something. Just I did not that, know that. Yeah, yeah. So go pick up. Uh, I, I think it's my perfect headache is the name of it. I may okay. have the title wrong, but it's a great album. But Getty Lee's only solo album. Matt Cameron is the drummer, and um, yeah, his he's phenomenal, man. I, I there's a couple of songs where I, I point out that he. I feel like he started kind of a movement that whole tribal drum thing you think of Allison Chains with that whole tribal drum thing a lot but I really think it, it was Matt Cameron who made every band that came after them want to do that in every song
2: yeah I mean Sean Kenny, no slouch either but I'm I just I I just I took him for granted now I'm getting at I'm like I I've he's been on a three records now for sure I think actually more I think he's on he's on Ultra Maker, okay right mm-hmm. okay
1: Yeah, he's a drummer.
2: So he's on four uh, records on this list, but you know, when you deep dive these things, I try to nitpick and and be a little more attention to detail. I this guy is so subtle, you know. That's part of the problem is that, like, you know, when you listen to Neil Peart and uh, uh, Alex Van Halen, those kind of drummers, they make it very difficult to not notice how fucking amazing they are. Uh, And they, they do a great job of fitting the song too. Just different kind of players are more bombastic, where uh, Matt Cameron is like a guy who, like, well, like I said, a math nerd. I mean, how does this guy count this shit out? Even sometimes, it's like, I would hope it's more of a feel thing, but it doesn't seem like it's possible.
1: I would think that, uh, you know, a Neil or a, an Alex Van Halen, maybe they're more of a count out sort of drummer, maybe not. But I, I, I actually get the sense that Matt Cameron is just a feel guy, okay? Because it, it comes across because of the way that he's he's kind of in the pocket, it, yet it's still loose, um, everything that he's doing, but. I, that's just my opinion i could be totally wrong and he could be a mathematician
3: who knows
2: <laughs> could be both good point uh, why not <laughs> uh, and, and uh honestly it says a lot about kim thale and and uh, chris cornell because cornell is even talking about like he's he's just at this point like he even says rusty cage is like one of the early riffs he wrote when he started teaching himself guitar so he was never really, you know, he was the drummer when the band started, um, and and so he started teaching himself guitar and became a pretty solid guitar player, you know, was for, definitely was for from a songwriting stance, but being able to play with somebody that does those time signature shifts, you know, it can throw you off, yep. you know, and and it, what a, what a killer band.
1: Well, I wonder if he wrote it that way or if it came out that way as they were jamming it and Matt said, hey, try this. And yeah, knows, I,
2: I didn't find anything specific. I know there's, the, it, through the, all these episodes I've done, there are definitely times where I, I read something where th- this band in particular would come with, like, here's, here's the basis idea, and then they would jam it out, and then they would start working on adding other adding stuff, and that's where a lot of the songwriting credits would get built on, so.
1: Now, is that the way that you guys did your band? Because I know that I've been in different bands where that's the, that was the approach, right? Somebody brings in a riff, and then you just
3: jam oh, it until you figure it out.
2: The two most f- fruitful methods were I would either have something almost complete and bring it in, or towards the end, I started working with our guitar player, Treble. And him and I would literally just sit down, and for about four hours, the goal was we leave with a, a, a rough demo of something. And... Yep. That was the most collaborative I, I ever worked. Now, there's there's a, there's examples of other stuff, but jamming's never been my forte until the bulk of the song is done. And then, like, you start getting ideas with arrangements and, and different pieces and that nature. And maybe that's what you're talking about, but uh, n- not a lot of, like... I, I see a band like Soundgarden probably be able to... They all kind of coalesce and work off each other, where um, I've yeah. never... I've had the guitar player being one guy that I could probably do that with, the rest of the band was never around long enough. <laughs> Dude. Yeah. You really got to commit the time to do that, man. It was tough enough yeah. getting them to come down to lay a drum track down some days.
1: I, I always like having most everything worked out. And then I get together with, if I get to, to work with my favorite drummer, who's, his name's Ken Auberly. He always comes with a uh, kind of what I envision happening with Matt Cameron, where he goes, this is great, but it's real straight. Let's, Let's try to mix it up a little bit. I'm going to hold off here. Then we, you know, we'll throw in some weird stuff. I, in in my head, I don't know jack shit if that's the way it happens, but in my head, that's what I'm hearing. That's probably the way Soundgarden works, but who
2: knows? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I do. Um, I do enjoy when someone wants to try something. Uh, it, it was never, uh, uh it, it, you don't, you don't have, it's not a tough sell when we're jamming. It's all fun. with music, right? You want right. to try changing something? Let's fucking try it. Let's see. Maybe it'll fucking, cause when it works, oh, it feels so good.
1: Exactly. When everybody's locked in. Yeah.
2: What about a rating system? I assume you've listened to a couple episodes. Did you come prepared today?
1: I, I'm prepared today and I'm going to, I'm going to switch it up on you. Cause we're going to have a different rating every song.
2: I love it. Uh, anyway, so what do we do? <laughs> what are we doing for rusty cage, man?
1: Rusty Cage, you alluded to it earlier. Rusty Cage is going to get five bass guitars slung below your knees.
2: <laughs> I also give this five bass guitars slung below the knees. Uh, man, I wonder how that guy's back is. I mean, he—he he, watching him play, just it's almost painful, but it's also really cool looking, you know.
1: So he was still doing. You saw him more recently, right?
2: Yeah, and He's- it was not. cool. White. He still had it low though, uh, but yeah. he was not like like the the caveman hunch. As that bad, that
1: yeah. shit gets yeah. I sling mine pretty low, but yeah, yeah the, the strap's starting to come up a little bit as I get older, man.
2: Uh, I uh, I have a thing I, I do, Well, I mentioned it, but I literally I, I think I invented it anyway. The guitar to crotch ratio has a lot to do with how cool you have to look cool playing guitar. Uh, there's just absolutely if it's up by your tits, just I don't know. Go do I, I, some flamenco or something like that. I just. <laughs>
1: I've played with a guy who was a, you know, almost virtuoso type guitarist. But, yeah, he played it up here, and I was just always like, oh, I know that works for some bands, but, uh, dude, please put your guitar down. Yeah, we're we're you... a punk rock band.
2: Oh, god, exactly. <laughs> you can't do it in punk. I mean, John Five does it, and it's still kind of like, eh, come on, just a little lower? You know, it's just like.
1: Yeah. Well, if, you're, if you're not playing with your dick, you're not playing. Yeah, oh, man. Yeah.
2: <laughs> if if you can see the crotch under the guitar it's definitely too high um but uh oh look at that that's uh what do they call those uh the dan the dan armstrong dan armstrong yeah
1: how many so bases you can you see got? your junk and still play it. uh about 10 <laughs>
2: <10? laughs> i'm sorry i laughed at the joke how many
1: 10 10 bases okay
2: yeah. uh yeah I, I, there's at least 10 guitars around here at some point um but um Who's against good bass player for level 42? That guy has that fucker slapped way up here. Uh, the 80s band? Do you even know them?
1: I don't remember them, no. You just stumped stump me. It's obscure. <laughs> <laughs>
2: We go all right so we got two uh, bass guitars are five two two five perfect ratings i guess so far is all i'm trying to get at there the next song Outshine.
1: No, this this sucks. No, this is a, this is the perfect one-two punch. Oh, you man. can't get a better one-two punch than Rusty Cage and Outshine. In fact, if they would have had nothing on the rest of the album and released a a two-song single, it would still be number two on this uh this list to me.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it is so fucking good and one of those classic drop d riffs i mean that's that
1: everybody ripped this off every band yes. after this from from the 90s pretty much rips this off going forward
2: i watched the video uh, uh today still holds up they got the new hd version of it i thought it was going to be more of a kind of a time capsule That's how my memory uh, was for it but it's actually pretty badass looking still uh but, I mean, this song helps. I mean, and it's such a cool standout track. It just, it, it's its like they're not really doing anything new or different, but this was one of the most unique-sounding singles of this era. I mean, just that, show me the power child. That just, it just drives, and it's just, ugh. Oh. And, and uh, there's so many little accenty guitar pieces that's going on pretty much through this whole album, I'll just say. Uh, but yeah, and of course we talk about Cornell. Jesus fucking Christ, he he just delivers. Um, this this might be my favorite. If I did a, a top 100 grunge songs, this might be number one for me. I, I I haven't put any thought into it, but this is just so fucking good. It's so much better than almost anything out there.
1: And I would, yeah, I totally agree with you. And I would say that this song set the stage for the rest of their career. To me. For this sure. this made this made such a statement of who Soundgarden is. If you listen to everything before this, it doesn't equate to who Soundgarden are after this. This wonder, song says, "This is us."
2: I wonder if because Rusty Cage is a bit of a weird song. I wonder if that would have been uh, embraced as much if it wasn't for if this wasn't the first song. You know what I mean? Uh, it's still a killer tune. I just I mean it. It is it, just a little bit different, you know. I don't yeah. know, I, you remember um, Headbangers Ball was kind of making a shift to bring some of the stuff in around this time.
1: Well, I was going to say this, um, it's a perfect blend because it's, it's huge metallic hooks, but you've got these pop sensibilities and the choruses, you know. That, it's weird. Yeah, it, but it, at the same time, it, it again, it, it is the thing that not only set the stage for them, but to me, kind of set the stage for all of these grunge bands that would come after them. Uh, we can play metal but we can do it this way where it's got a little bit of punk rock to it but it's also very accessible from a, a chorus
4: standpoint but, yeah outshine i think was the beginning of it it was yeah. it was um after andy had died it, and temple the dog had already been written and recorded um and uh the there it was literally like the the period that i was writing the lyrics was literally like two days before uh Desert Shield turned into Desert Storm, um, and personally, too, I was just getting a little bit sick of just kind of avoiding certain aspects of lyric writing. Some of which was maybe I didn't want to get too personal because I don't think anybody would care, and because it would annoy you know it would annoy me sometimes when I would hear other people sing about their lives too personally. I'd be like, oh, what, why would I care? You know, fuck off, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. Um, and The other aspect was, look, there's like three other members in my band that have to get up here and play this, and and it has to somehow kind of relate to them. And I just kind of, in in OutShine, there was was a little bit of, it was almost like I imagined myself singing that song to this guy who's my friend that's now in heaven kind of looking down on me and and being like, you know, what the hell am I going to do now? And just opening up that much in that lyric and letting it go was kind of the beginning of of that feeling
2: i i, I wonder what it was like i i heard chris Cornell talk about this and they were they weren't sure this was gonna make the album when they recorded it and i'm like what the I, fuck I, I, he I, is anybody listening and going this no is not shit. Good. how do you fucking record this song in the studio and go yeah, it's, it's all right. Maybe it's a B side. Uh, we'll see. When we'll, we're all done, maybe we'll keep this. It's like fuck you. What do you want? The the ball left I, the park. It's a home run. Yeah. Take yeah, your four bases. Obvious.
1: Jesus. How about the uh, how about the breakdown? Because that's another oh, thing that yeah. they that they do perfectly, and it's another thing that so many people imitate. Especially after this came out, so many people imitated that bridge,
2: and it comes right back into that. So now you know, and even that little line and the way they sing it's just delivered is like, so now you know. It's like it, it draws you in, but it's like it's it's so simple, but nobody did it. It's like, well, this is very fucking cool, man. Agreed. <laughs> what's, I can't say much about this. What's other the, the rating? It's just I'm guessing this is going to get uh, somewhere between a three and a five
1: yeah so this is this is five so what is to come that's what this gets
2: okay i get uh i'll, I'll uh, match your five this is five so what is to come is from Baco too all right the next track slaves and Bulldozer." slaves and bulldozers mm-hmm. is my favorite song on the record
1: Here is a little bit of a step back into that territory of where they were in Louder Than Love, a little bit. A little bit. Um, but it's very sabbath to me. A lot of Iomi kind of tones and I, I mean, my God, here's Cornell again. He's proving himself to be the supreme being. Um, I, I mean, just nailing it. I, I will say, though, as cool as the tones are and as cool as His vocals are. I'm not a huge fan of the guitar solo.
2: I would think this would be funner if you saw them play it live in a club than, say, at an arena or like a festival or something like that. I can see you really getting into that vibe and that kind of tight, kind of sweaty. You know, where where you just see that band, and that might be the best way to see these guys too. By the way, just in a smaller stage where they're just destroying it. I also
4: think there's kind of an energy that happens in theaters that doesn't happen in in arenas that um, kind of fits almost best for us. Like we learned early on that we could take, like, handle a really big stage inside, outside, and it was kind of great, and we were sort of suited for it. Um, but on the other hand, our music is kind of dark and there's a sort of dark intimacy that works really well in smaller places. And so it was kind of the, the decision to like, let's, let's take this tour and this new album out to, uh, places where it's not like a, a come one, come all sort of feeding frenzy, but. Focus on the on the hardcore fans that have been following following us all this time.
1: But I do like the cool breakdown in the song. Here again, they have another cool
2: breakdown. <laughs> a lot of that on this record, but uh, yeah, they got this, <laughs> no more Wrath for free. Yeah, all right, it's just, all right. just another. So, that's, you know, that, that rangy Chris Cornell right there. You know, I mean, yeah. So you got a one two three punch with this one. You know, usually
1: you get a one two punch at best. Now you got a one two three punch. As far I, as I'm, I'm going to
2: go. I'm my personally. I'm going to say this is one two and yeah punch. Okay. Yeah, they, right. they 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 slow down a little bit here as far as that. I do, like I said, I still like the record. Uh, uh. Well, but I can't step on your rating this year. Your, your rating, call. What are we doing here?
1: Yeah, so I'm going to take it down one notch. So this is going to get four dirty spark plugs.
2: This gets three and a half dirty spark plugs for me. So a little less uh, for me. But the next song, uh, Jesus Christ Pose. I will tell you, this one was a bit of a grower for me. But of course.
1: Well, it's fucking perfect is what you can say. <laughs> <laughs> I mean this this is the one I just wrote in big marker, Matt Cameron is killing it. Oh he yeah. He just kills it on this one.
2: Yeah. He almost like a Matt Cameron solo song.
1: Oh and this is where to me, this is where he set the stage for all those groups that would follow this band afterwards and, and try to mimic what he's doing and add that whole tribal thing that so many bands did in the nineties, but none to the perfection that he gets here
2: i uh, agreed um uh and that the that, that off-key kind of spastic guitar harmony that's repeating over and over in the intro though the, the reason this was a grower for me is that that was kind of like i don't know it it's kind of grindy and, and and harsh to listen to but once you kind of get the vibe almost of the song, industrial yeah it yeah exactly it's very much that but uh uh but I think once I got over kind of that and started realizing how it fit perfectly into the song, that's when I started to like get into that more the the whole vibe of everything. But it, it, even like those those tribal drums when they they shift to that like I'm driving the nails that little part, man, it's just Cameron is just again I, I can't say enough g- gushy things about the guy. But uh, at this point, we are really seeing the prog that you've been talking about. This is yeah. more than the, the the three previous songs. You're, this is a very prog prog proggy tune
1: probably why i love it so much i wrote, I wrote yeah i'm glad you said that because i wrote in my notes i love the bridge with the bullhorn vocals which is another thing that every band tried to do after yeah. this let <laughs> have a bullhorn on there and then i, I wrote in, again big capital letters proggy riffing love it <laughs> so it yeah, had to be fun to drunk.
2: be a member of this band at this time because they were doing so many things Four tracks in there, just all over the fucking place, but everything still sounds tight. It's a it's a cohesive, cohesive. record still. Yeah. It, yeah, it's just yeah, and more
1: vocal acrobatics from Cornell. He's not letting <laughs> yeah. up, man. He's just, just like he's just killing it. stare
2: at me, God. I he mean, just uh, ugh, one of a kind. Um, this is like this is probably him really pushing it almost through the entire song.
1: Now, have you ever watched them play this song? As far as like, watch what they're doing on the guitar. Because I actually am trying to understand how they're doing the drony guitar thing. Because if you listen to that low note, it's, it sounds like it's being barely strummed with a thumb or something. I'm yeah. not exactly sure.
2: I, I I've it, not broken it down to that level, but it is so layered, and it is there's only a couple spots where the actual riff can you know be it, where you would say this is the you know like the, like that but like the build up is all kind of like noise and kind of like yeah, it's just so experimental in, in what they're doing and, and I just I can't imagine I, can, I bet you they've probably at, at times rehearsed in this song it would, they played it for a half hour I mean just,
1: <laughs> it was just jammed on it yeah, yeah. I don't don't I remember reading something with Kim at some point. I don't know if it was this record or, or the next one, but he was he was talking about a song, and he said, you know how I got that tone? I put the guitar on the table, and I blew on the strings. <laughs> I'm like, who does that? Who records that?
2: Uh, and he was using those PVVTM uh, 60s that... Uh, um... Uh, Michael Beinhorn, uh, despised <laughs> with honestly, with good reason. It's Like, come on, you can afford a better amp now. I mean,
1: <laughs> <laughs> the, the tones are killer, man. The tones are amazing on this thing. Yeah.
2: So, it really, I really, I think it was a lot of work getting a good tone out of uh, his rig, if that's what he was really using, but
1: yeah, you gotta
3: well,
2: make I, I, I had, look, I had two of them, you know, I, I'm very familiar with that amp and they, they're very much, uh, the perfect kind of like low budget, It'll give you a, a, a powerful head with a half stack without dropping two grand. You know what I mean? But once right. you kind of get to, to this level, you probably should upgrade a little bit. But anyway, yep. what's Absolutely. our rating?
1: Our rating is going to be five pairs of long johns and jean
2: shorts. <laughs> I'm going to cut it back just a little bit. I love this tune, but it's four and a half pairs of long johns and jean shorts.
1: Why was that a, why was that a fashion thing? I, I don't get it. But well, it I think it's
2: Seattle uh the, the ripped jeans has always looked cool but now you're like also like well but it's also kind of chilly outside guys so, <laughs> right, I'm, gonna th- so I'm
1: gonna wear the long johns
2: and then like hey you know why don't I just make these fucking shorts yeah. <laughs> <laughs> shorts <laughs> the canadian tuxedo <laughs> uh, up next is face pollution
1: I love the, and I'm going to say this is a very yesy, proggy instrumental bridge on this song. If you listen to the the little instrumental bridge on this song and go listen to Yes from the 80s that had Trevor Rabin as the guitarist, it almost sounds like something Trevor Rabin would have done.
2: Man, quite, I, I, you know, as a guy out who, there, I, I, as a guy who, who's from a punk band, I wrote down once they go prog, then they go punk. To me, this is very much a <laughs> punk tune, man.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with you until that weird little instrumental bridgey thing. You
2: were very there, specific, you know? so I'm gonna, I'm not gonna debate you on that. Uh, I, I think you might. I'm not familiar with with the the comparison you're making. So, um, uh, all right. Again, you're bringing the obscuria. That's uh, that's the genius that you have today. Uh, I I don't uh, like um. I don't know. It's just not a standout track to me by any means. It's okay.
1: Yeah. I was going to say my attention for the first time in this record, my attention fades slightly. Um, even though it still has that Jimmy page kind of feel on the oh, chorus yeah. and, you know, very, um, very much a mix of seventies with punk, but yeah, in the same way, this is the first time listing and part of it in, in the rest of the album is going to suffer just a little bit because the, the first couple of songs are so strong that it's, you almost want to go back and listen to those songs again. Every time I hear this, this album.
3: Yeah.
2: Like, I, there's plenty you know, of times that that's what happened to me. Um, <laughs> I, I would get to Jesus Christ pose and start over, you know? Um,
1: exactly. Yeah. And, and so when I was going back and listening to this album, I realized that very rarely did I make it to the end of this thing because I it was so strong in the beginning that I would do that. I would go back to the beginning. And there are songs that I listened to uh, in preparation for this. I was like, this is not as much in my memory as those other songs that are on the first side. And the reason is because of that, they're so strong.
2: There was only one track that 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 was the case uh the, for me well i shouldn't say that some of them definitely aren't as ingrained as is outshined or rusty cage but there is one track in particular uh on the other side of this album that i remember thinking like i remember why i kind of forget this one and you know i, I saw the title i'm like i don't remember how that one goes that kind of deal uh yeah. this one i remembered how it went but uh i don't know listening back to it it didn't do much to change my mind what do we have for a rating for uh, face pollution
1: yeah so i'm gonna do this one uh three infected nose rings
2: <laughs> i also have three infected nose rings so we are pretty close to on this thing all the way through well uh side one of the cassette i don't remember if this came out on vinyl initially but we're we're, we're gonna go with the cassette because they were, they were still popular in 91 uh yep. and, side one ends with somewhere
1: I'd say this to me is taking it taking it back up a notch from the previous song. Um, Agreed. I think I think the uh the weird thing here to me is that the verse is almost hookier than the chorus in this case.
2: Absolutely. Um, it had I, something very similar written down.
1: Yeah, it's uh, which is you don't normally you wouldn't think that would be the case, but that's the case here. And then I you know the the chorus while it's not as hooky, it's still very Soundgarden and it's very what you're going to get from Soundgarden the rest of their career uh, out of this. And I would say that to me, this is a standout track for Ben Shepard. I think the bass mm. on this this song is just incredible.
2: I I adore the vocal. I think it's one of the best recorded vocals on the on the record. Um, but I really love that part where like, you know, we, you know like, I wish to wish the, the kind of thing. And then, but then he, you know, does that thing where he loves to amp up. It's like... And I just and the thing is, every time I hear this song, I know that's coming, and I'm just sitting there going, "Come on, come on, waiting and for I, it, waiting yeah, for it." Yeah. It's just like so. Uh, this uh, this song is is and again, it's, what a great way to. I mean, so far we we really don't have a uh, a lot of misses, and and this is definitely not one. Uh, what about a rating?
1: I'm going to give this four extra large paper thin tour shirts. <laughs> <laughs> and and I don't know if you remember, but the, the tour shirts you bought in the 90s at these shows were super thin, the yeah. poorest quality shit you could get. And for whatever reason, I'm at best uh, a medium. And I would buy an XL. All through the 90s, I wore XL. So the, the seam for my sleeve would be halfway uh, down my
4: arm. <laughs> that cool. was the thing.
2: That cool. <laughs> I uh, uh well, <laughs> I'll give this five extra large, super thin, uh, concert T-shirts. This is a uh, uh, almost a perfect song for me. Uh, and and again, it kind of makes you not want to go to side two, go back and listen to side one right now. But I don't know. Which
1: is what happened a lot of times.
2: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, I I did end up getting into where I, this most of this album. Uh, Oh god, it was so important, especially once I was listening to the CD. Then it would just kind of keep going. But I did have the cassette for a while. But uh, uh, that's what
1: I started on too. We had we had the cassette tape.
2: Before we get into side two, as I'm, I'm want to do, I like to ask a handful of kind of standard questions, kind of get a a read on where my guest was, get get, get kind of different uh, insight to the whole scene, all that stuff. So you you already told me you were a freshman in college in 1991. Well, So, Nevermind comes out, and then, you know, it does hit pretty quick, and things changed pretty fast. Where were you musically, we'll just say before Nevermind, what were you listening to leading up to this?
1: Yeah, so I, I remember this very vividly, freshman year. So, this came out in September, correct? And and so did Nevermind. So, I remember uh, in August, moving in freshman year, and at that time, I had just bought the Black Eyed Susan cassette tape, if you remember oh, that. I band. do. What uh,
2: uh, <laughs> uh, Dizzy Dean. Dizzy
1: Dean, yes. Yeah, so it was a, a Britney. That's a Fox solid band. album. It is solid. It was their attempt to try to mimic the Black Crows, but you know, it didn't quite work out for them. Um, <laughs> but I remember that I had just gotten that, and we're moving into the dorm, and, and I'm playing that, and I I think uh, a lot of folks at that time were playing um, Razor's Edge. That was a big album that A C D fall is yeah. yeah that fall as well. So that's when the that's Donald what,
2: Duck vocal started. I don't understand what <laughs> people were hearing. I don't know.
1: Not not a huge fan of that album, but that's what was being played. And and so everybody in our dorm room, we had paper thin walls. This is in Clemson, South Carolina, in some dorms that were built to be temporary back in the 40s that were still standing in the 90s. (laughs) So you can imagine. Uh, so anyway, you know, we're hearing everybody's music and everybody, for the most part, if they're not playing what we used to call college rock, yeah. right, which became alternative. But if they're not playing some college rock, then they're mostly playing hair bands. And by the, the middle of that semester, after Nirvana came out, I would say everything, you're right, everything changed. And you no longer heard. You know, I, I blasted Black Eyed Susan, and no one thought it was cool anymore. Um, yeah, yeah, that, that small window
2: when Black Eyed Susan was the fucking uh, closer in the panty dropping room. All right,
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was the shit. No, I don't think anyone ever got that one. But you know, I was, I was. um I was diving into because I was big into Living Color and Twenty Four Seven Spies and you know Chili Peppers were releasing their new album as well. So I was way into funk, uh rock, funk metal at the same time too. But yeah, when that Fish dropped, Bone? man, everybody Fishbone, love Fishbone, man. Seen them several times. One of my favorite bands of all time. Yeah, I was I was rocking all that, but um it's, yeah, that drops, and everybody, I swear, everybody on my floor, all of a sudden, all you're hearing is Soundgarden, Nirvana. Uh, I even remember hearing Mother Love Bone for the first time. Hmm. Everybody just picked it up immediately.
2: And it even fashion changed. You know what I mean? Like, uh, uh, girls stopped dressing slutty. I mean,
1: <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Good point, man. Yeah, all of a sudden they're wearing the same shoes that I'm wearing. Like, why are you wearing Doc Martens? That's not cool on a chick.
2: I have no idea if you have big tits or not with that flannel shirt on. That's way too big. <laughs> right. you <know>, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, it, it was funny because. Do Which you was remember important that then. It was, it's still important. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I was like... do, do you remember the. Uh, there was a little fad especially with bands i don't know about in in the minnesota area but there was a little fad where bands coming out of the 80s and early 90s they were trying to be kind of lenny kravitz esque where they were trying to dress kind of 60s ish
2: i know what you're talking about yeah
1: you know kind of flowery paisley and not stuff everybody like that. but
2: there was definitely you know there was. i know what you're saying yeah
1: yeah it was kind of a thing and then of course grunge comes in and just kicks that all away, you know, and like, you know, the guy that had on the Paisley shirt one week, the next week he had on a nice flannel. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What about you? What did you think when you were you, did you buy into grunge pretty quick once it became kind of a, an undeniable movement?
1: Yeah, I was in, I was in right away. But again, for me, uh, I was always, I wasn't so much a trend follower. I just wanted to consume everything. So while I'm discovering grunge, I'm also discovering jazz for the first time. I'm also discovering um, progressive rock from the 1970s. What a fucking weirdo I am. But, you know, I'm, I'm diving into all this stuff at the same time, and I'm really getting into everything. And it, it speaks to why I do what I do now with, with our show, because I just enjoy music in general. If it has a guitar on it, for the most part, I'm probably going to like it. Um, so that in that that time especially, it was just all about discovery. Was, even the classic rock bands that I hadn't heard, I was just diving in as, as much as I could. But I was way into grunge, for sure.
2: And, well, I'm guessing the answer's kind of obvious because you, you almost explained it with that answer there. But what do you think now when you look back at grunge?
1: I have so enjoyed listening to your episodes because it's brought back some some memories for me but i've always listened to it but i would say i i kind of dropped some of those records you know ones that i just wore out in the 90s i probably dropped a few of them and and didn't really dive back in until i started listening to this podcast like i hadn't listened to l7 in years and uh, i put that on i put bricks are heavy on after i heard your your episode Cause we had done one song and I did a grunge episode too. After you started and I'm like, Uh-oh, Oh, that's why I reached out to you. Oh yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. I was like, that's not that unique of an idea. I think you're okay. <laughs> yeah. I,
1: I, fe- I felt like, Oh shit. He's going to think I'm, I'm following his trend or something, but,
2: uh, uh no, you definitely do your own show. So uh, I wasn't too worried about it,
1: <laughs> but there's, there's certain bands that, um, you know you've you've reminded me of that I need to go back into and and when you when you take an album you break it down it really makes you want to go and dive into it so this has been a lot of fun dude
2: I I really appreciate that it it's been very re- rewarding on a lot of levels it, just to share a little bit with you I mean on a personal level I I've cut a vein a handful of times uh about you know it kind of took me back to to this time and where I was as a person and, and a lot of a lot of the growth that's happened since then I've kind of looked back you know and I can kind of see this music was very important. Music has always been important to me, but you know, it was it was like Kiss, hair metal, and then grunge, and the, at very key moments in my life, really helped kind of like get me through things that maybe weren't going great. So that 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 that's been kind of fun to to kind of look back and go, hey, you know what, you did okay. You know what I mean? You you weren't perfect, but also just the feedback from people like you, it just it really has made it easy to keep going. But I think the most, the biggest compliment I can pay to the people who have hung in there and listened to this is that, like, I don't know if I did an, a hair metal version of this, if I would have people that would be okay, – like, you mentioned the L7. I didn't have a very – positive review of that record, but I didn't really hear that not every record have I loved but yet people hang in there and go, Well, it wasn't your thing. I think if I did hair metal and I'm yep. getting to like some yep. like pretty boy Floyd record, people are like, Yeah, what the fuck's wrong with this idiot? You know what I mean? I I, I, <laughs> I think grunge at least the audience seems to be like, eh, whatever, this is still fun. He, fucking talked about the whole album and, you know, whatever. I was going to say,
1: what what comments did you get from the whole album? Because I fucking hate that album. There's nothing redeeming about that to me. Nothing exactly.
2: negative. Honestly, actually I got like, you know what? You guys uh, were pretty fair and neither one of us liked the damn record. Uh, yeah. And... <laughs> The, the feedback I got was like, well, you know, I mean, you kind of joked around, you you had some misogynistic fun, but at the same time, you addressed <laughs> the important issues that she was talking about lyrically. I thought the, the the feedback seemed to be that like is is hard to believe, especially with Ian Wadley as as a guest. We were fairly <laughs> fair and balanced. Uh, so, uh, That's so one.
1: Of- one of the biggest shows that I've ever played is we, um, my second show with the Swears. We played a thing here in Atlanta called Music Midtown, which back in the day it was a three-day event, big festival, kind of like Lollapalooza, where they basically have stages that are owned by different radio stations, and mm. you know one one band plays on a big stage, and then the people basically turn around and watch the next band on sure. the other big stage, and so we went uh, opposite uh, our, our good buddy from Hole. <laughs> So that was that was interesting.
2: So, I, I've uh, only seen that band once, and it was at a, a radio station two day festival on Memorial Weekend. And Courtney lost her shit and was swearing at the audience. And um, yeah, I,
1: I don't think, I think that I'd remember the sick. show at
2: all if she didn't do it.
1: Yeah, I think that was her stick because she did the same thing. She got all whiny and bitchy, and, yeah. you know we. But to, you know to play a stage that size and then realize who's coming on next. You know the fact that she didn't maybe shut us down early or something. That I consider that a win.
2: I I have accepted that um, there I may have not have given her a fair break like uh, because of who she was married to the timing her just personality in general um so she's she's probably more talented and more important than i want to give her credit for uh but i don't know it's just not my thing um they were supposed to open for Marilyn manson on 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 a tour and she dropped out for some reason and we got uh, nashville pussy and that was a big win for me uh so.
1: <laughs> which did, did you know they're from atlanta
2: nashville pussy yeah i did not no
1: I didn't either until we did a show a few weeks ago, and I was reading off Atlanta bands, and that was one that came up from Atlanta. I had never heard that. I didn't even know they were from my town.
2: Now, I, I think Cherokee Parks' uh, his sister was still the the ba- Cherokee Parks is a basketball player. He played in North Carolina, and then the, for the Timberwolves here in Minnesota, uh, his sister was the six foot seven Amazon bass player for them for a long time. Um, yep. But she, I, I think she was still in the band when I saw them. Um, because she was out not long after if not but uh it's still mainly they're still active right it's uh, the the writer and uh the the dude right
1: yeah as far as i know they're still active and yeah. who knows what's going on right now but
2: all right uh well here's the the question everybody wants to get into because it's it's stupid and pointless and but it's it's a lot of fun to talk about did grunge kill hair metal
1: no no it did not um because my answer here, I think a lot of people said it, but I mean, music in general and, and trends are, are cyclical. And to me, a lot of that aligns with the decades, usually. And the decade of the 80s was done. And the main trend coming out of the 80s as hair metal was also done. And people were ready to move on to something, something different. And I think no matter, no matter what, that was going to happen. No matter if grunge was the next thing or yeah. whatever it was going to be. I just I think that still to this day happens, although not quite as much as it used to. Uh, because
3: yeah, I it, think it's the, music There it really isn't
2: trends anymore. Now it's just like this yeah. this blender of music you just pour into a cup, and it's like this is kind of everything. Uh.
1: Yeah, but you could you can clearly at least through the through the 2000s. Probably the 2000 was yeah. the last time, but you can clearly see the 60s, the seven When the 70s came, everything changed. Yeah. When when the 70s ended, all of those bands that were huge at the end of the 70s kind of went away. You know, yeah. you had your 80s bands. Same thing in the 90s.
2: And, and hair metal actually had a really good run when you look at how long it lasted from, like, inception to where, you know, basically it, w- it didn't die really until it about 91. Uh, and it was, you know, riding high in 83. That's a good eight-year stretch there. Uh, We're a grunge. Basically three years, man. <laughs> yeah,
1: it was it was a quick burn. For uh,
2: well, everybody died.
1: Well, <laughs> there's oh, this... This
2: is true. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's get to side two. The cassette is uh, fully fast forwarded. Uh, uh, although I want to, I wonder which side is longer. I don't know. It'd be kind of fun side two opens up with "Searching with my good eye closed."
1: The intro to this song. Yeah. Do you remember where that came from? You, I'm sure you Oh, the little wind up your, toy that worked. The little wind up thing. Yeah. yeah. I think people this now would is have a cow. no idea.
2: Oh, yeah. uh, I didn't know where you were going with that. Because I, I wrote yeah, yeah, down yeah. like one of the longest fade ins I can ever think of. This is almost almost a minute and a half before the fade is done. But yeah, you're talking about the little sound where it's like the little this toy is yeah. a pig. Whee! Yeah, it's like yeah, so- uh, describe the toy.
1: Yeah, so for people that don't know, there was a preschool toy when we were kids. One of know, my favorites, by of, the way. I love this the fucking 70s. toy. I did too. And it was basically, uh, I think it was kind of round and it had a big dial on it with an arrow, right? Yep. And then around the dial were pictures of animals. And you would turn the dial and then I think you would pull a... a little zip string. You would pull, pull a zip string, yeah. And then it would turn and wherever your arrow was it would say, the, the cow, whatever the animal is, it would say, the cow makes this noise. And it would make yeah. the noise. <laughs> <laughs> And so when I heard that the first time, I was like, I know, I remember what that was. But I would, I would imagine that kids or anybody that's younger than us may have no clue what that is. But that's <laughs> I took exactly it for granted. That
2: that. I'm glad you brought that up. I wasn't even going to talk about that. But yeah, it, it people our age that were 20 when this record came out probably all like, oh, that's what that is. That's kind of cool. But if you hear, yeah, it we now, all had like, one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Fisher Price, man. Uh, but I always love that, and I love the. uh, you know, just the way that they they come, it, it has a little tongue in cheek. It's you know got a little humor in it. Let's let's have this band that can be super serious, but they're not taking themselves too seriously. Right? I love that. And this is another song for me that um, clearly shows the direction that they're going to take the rest of their career. It's another one of those staples to me. I absolutely love this song. And when I saw them play it live, it man, it translates live. This is an amazing live song from them.
2: That is a great um, point. This is probably the one track that would fit on Super Unknown better than any other song on here.
1: Yeah, this is this is them saying this is who we are, this is who we're going to be, and we're going to make a whole lot of money doing this. Yeah, you know. Um, so I, I don't think I mentioned that I saw Soundgarden when I saw them. Uh, nope. So you saw them more recently before Chris? Yeah, a few away, days right? before he
2: died. They they played a festival here in uh, well, actually in Wisconsin, but anyway.
1: Yeah. So I saw them back in the day and I was trying to remember exactly when. So I I actually have, I used to put my tickets in, in my um, CDs, right? (laughs) So that's how I, that's how I'd keep my stub. So it's in my down on the upside CD and I saw them on the down on the upside tour. And this was a really fantastic show because if you remember in 96, the Olympics were in Atlanta and I had just moved to Atlanta right when the Olympics started and Soundgarden puts on a show. I think it's the first weekend of the Olympics. And there's a place in well, Atlanta called. Is, was Under- it
2: part of the Olympic presentation or just a timing thing?
1: Nope, just a timing thing. Okay. And there's a, a, it's kind of like a mall, but it's in downtown Atlanta, or it used to be. And it's called Underground Atlanta. And basically, it's a mall that's underground. And you enter, and it looks like it's one story, and then you go underground, and it's, it's like a mall with a couple levels. And Soundgarden, they had them set up. It's the only band that I've ever seen do this. They had the band set up on top of the entrance. So it's basically the roof okay. of this place called Underground Atlanta, which is just a badass setup. And they put chain-link fence around the streets surrounding this place, and that's well, basically that was show, your concert man. venue. Well the thing that they got wrong so everything's great right sounds great with what they're doing but the thing that they got wrong was they put a and let me see if it's on the ticket it says right here 6 p.m. that's when they're supposed to go on it's atlanta georgia in july and it's hot as hell <laughs> and we have people we have people from all and over the world 6 p.m. is in like they, the, the,
2: the that's that time where it's the hottest part of the day
1: yeah, yeah. And this, and we've got people from all over the world who aren't used to the heat. Mm. And you're telling people on a ticket that they're going on at six. And this is not a opener, you know, a couple openers and then Soundgarden. No, this is just a Soundgarden oh, show.
2: really? Okay, I get you.
1: And so Soundgarden doesn't go on until close to 10 o'clock. And even after dark in Atlanta in July, it's fucking hot, man. Yeah. So, I have never seen, and we were packed in like sardines. I mean, everybody in the world is in Atlanta at this time. So, everybody's at this show. And I have never seen so many fights. Darn it! Before a show, is at this place just because people are so hot and miserable. I mean, it was like all you could do to just duck from the the fight that was over to your right and the fight that was over to your left.
2: You got to go see Jackal at Bratfest in Wisconsin. That's where the (laughs) fights go.
1: (laughs) Well, I was gonna say I'm I'm a punk rock kid, man. I used to go to you know (laughs) see punk rock shows. I was like, holy shit, this is bad. Um, So that was that was my Soundgarden experience, but they killed it live. You know, if you could just duck and not get hit and swung at, you were good.
2: Uh, walking around Atlanta, how often do you run into uh, Jermaine Dupree?
1: Yeah, about every day. <laughs> yeah,
2: no. Up here in, uh, in the Twin Cities, it's Cisco. <laughs> so we got Cisco.
1: Yeah, I don't walk anywhere now. I'm, I'm in the
2: burbs. But... Oh, listen to you, hot stuff. Uh, all right. Well, so, <laughs> so Cisco, yeah, he lives in Maple Grove. Uh, see him at Dave and Buster's every Tuesday (laughs) 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 Uh, I love uh, this track Uh, I'm not is it about skydiving skydiving it's got that opening line painted blue across my sky strap the linen on
1: I never drew that from this but yeah it sounds totally valid Uh, I never but, uh, got
2: that. One thing I wanted to mention with this track is that so many of these songs, as I would like, this record just would get played and played. Suddenly, this is my favorite fucking sound song. And this is definitely yep. one of them where it would like moved and like now I'll, I have to hear this all over and over again. Uh, uh, I just remember my roommate and I, you know, I don't know, doing whatever kind of bullshit we could do with no money at home. Uh, you know, getting drunk and listening to to music and playing Tecmo Bowl. Uh, this would be a a, a, <laughs> a song I would repeat. But
1: yeah, if you would taken this song and put it where face pollution is, can you imagine how powerful <laughs> oh, side one would have been?
2: <laughs> but you lose this amazing opener to side two. That's true, but side one would have just been the shit. Fuck. Yeah, maybe it was. Maybe maybe that should just be done. Uh, what are we out for a rating, man?
1: So this one's going to get five, count them, five Screaming Devils.
2: Ooh, nice. Uh, I give it five Screaming Devils, too. Well, the next track uh, up here is, uh, we're talking about Room, A Thousand Years Wide. (laughs)
1: Song has one uh, main problem. I I love parts of this song. I think the Matt Cameron time signature awesomeness is just incredible. What he's doing in this oh, song, he is just
2: I, nuts on here. I, I mean, try to count it.
1: Go ahead. Um, <laughs> the, you know, the riff is to me very Allison Chainsy. I I get a real Allison Chains vibe on this song for some reason.
2: All right, I can see that.
1: And then. You've got two things that, that kill this for me. You've got this drony siren guitar that annoys the shit out of me. I want it to stop, and it doesn't stop. It just keeps going on and on. If they would have mixed it you know, a few dBs lower, I may have been fine with it. And Fair then enough. you throw in a very unnecessary sax solo in me.
2: Uh, it's weird. This is one of the few times that like a sax on, 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 a, on a record like this doesn't... Just immediately annoy the shit out of me. But yeah, um, not my favorite track, but not my least favorite uh, uh, tune on here at all. That, that whole p- annoying little guitar thing, I do think probably could be lowered in the mix a little bit. The song doesn't annoy me that much, so I do, I do like it. But again, we're kind of in prog zone. But this goes back to showing Cornell that he could write... God, damn near a melody almost any kind of thi- thing It's just
1: it, it's, it's just he can write a melody that's amazing that can be sung by anyone around uh around a very odd time signature, a very odd prod thing.
0: It, yeah, it
2: I'm is not saying
1: that anybody can sing it, but you can humbly at least.
2: Well let's uh let's not keep the listeners waiting. What's your rating here?
1: Uh this gets two annoying bees for
2: me. Oh wow. I have nothing that goes that low. Uh this actually, believe it or not, I gave this four. Uh what did you say, Queen Bees? Annoying bees. Annoying four annoying bees. This is what it gets for me. Yeah, <laughs> is that, this, the that, bee? Just is that a B note way. that he's hitting on that? <laughs> <It> Maybe. <laughs> or it just sounds like a bee B. You're saying? Okay. It just sounds like a bee, Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. That that to me that um, that was similar to how I felt about that 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 uh, little on uh, Jesus Christ pose. But that kind of I eventually kind of like over and over. What's that? I
1: said that one doesn't repeat over and over. And oh, over. that's it's, all it does for consistent. the first
2: minute of the song. Is like I, yeah, I guess. But yeah, I guess that, that one I kind of grew into more once that the once I saw the bigger picture, it seemed like uh, this did not click with me. I, I agree with you as far as that, but I, I I still man, Cornell I think saves this song. Well, as does Cameron. He's just fucking crazy in this tune. But all right, that brings us to mind, right.
1: vocal acrobatics and you don't you won't get this again this is the last time you're going to get this pretty much you won't do it on other albums i like the tribal drumming here again uh i think i feel like in, in the grand scheme of this album this would have fit on the next album or possibly on a soundtrack um <laughs> my personal my personal opinion is this might have might should have been left as a B side.
2: Yeah, I mean this 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 record is long enough that you probably could have taken if you want to cherry pick a tune out, you, you certainly could. Um, that opening riff, it to me you hear like a low bass playing at the very beginning, but then that to me that sounds like a bass playing on top of a bass. I'm not I've never really heard a band do that, and I don't know that that's what they're doing. It could just be. How they're eqing or sounding it? You you didn't okay. So yeah,
1: we we multi basses.
2: Uh, but but like with different like kind of like almost rhythmic parts or. Mm-hmm. All right, fair enough. I don't know. You're you're the bass player. Is that what it sounds like to you when it comes in with that boom? To me, that's a. That's bass. what it sounds like to me.
1: Okay. Or it could be uh, it could be like a bass six. You know, with, with that crazy Fender guitar that's it's uh. Right. Played like a guitar, but it's a it's a bass.
2: Okay, I All guess right.
1: actually, but this, yeah, it kind of sounds like a little trick bass or maybe an baritone.
2: But it's just this cool little chill little riff, kind of gets you into the thing. Um, uh, but yeah, this is the line. This is the song with the line where the candles burned out yesterday. Somebody's best friend died, and they call it a mind right. I just that's basically the entire chorus. But I I love the way he sings that. I just. Candles burned out yesterday. Kind of does that. Kind of where he kind of gets a little lower, but still, kind of got that power. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's
1: pretty much in that upper register the whole time. It's. It's. uh I, I don't know how the man does it or did it. It was just impressive.
2: I, I It's clear at this point that Matt Cameron does think he's in yes, or or King or you, you a better example you have King, King Crimson. King, King, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah,
1: yeah. He thinks he's Bill Bruford. Yep. <laughs>
2: He he his eyes like uh when he sees Kim Thale he sees uh Robert Fripp. Uh
1: Yeah. Yeah. He's uh he's Carl Palmer. We'll go to even even crazier.
2: Well clearly clearly uh not your, your go to track on this record. What do you give it for a rating?
1: Yeah, so I'm gonna give this uh three should have been on the single soundtracks. Single soundtrack, sorry. <sighs>
2: Yeah, you know what? I'll I'll, I'll, uh, I'm not a big fan of that soundtrack. I I think it's overrated. Mind right to me though, it gives four should have been on the single soundtrack. Still think it's I'm still I'm still vibing this album, man.
1: Oh, I'm loving the album, but again, I, you know, I I said it earlier. It's just so heavy hitting up front. It's so front loaded (laughs) to me so so everything
2: you're doing, people need to keep in mind. Then is that you're rating this? This is compared Mm -hmm. to outshined yeah i'm comparing everything to the beginning of the album okay yeah to me then this is probably a one uh if i have to do that (laughs) i'm giving it its own little spot on this album and then where it fits but uh up next is drawing flies This is where the sax kind of like goes, eh, maybe you didn't need it
1: here. <laughs> I, I feel like this is, I mean, I sort of like it as, in a way. I think it's a, an odd choice again for this album, given, you know, the fact that I'm basing everything on how strong the beginning of the album is. And it's almost a little ultra mega ish. A, a little oh, bit. Good yeah, a little bit. Um, it would have fit, fit in that time frame. Um, I love the change up, but uh, it, it still comes across to me that this might be the one piece of filler here on this album.
2: Ooh, I wouldn't go that far. I, I, I do love that. that the ding, 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 ding. I think I could, Again, Cameron is killing it here, but sitting here and the, the, just that melody that they had going on there, it's the sax that really ruins this one for me.
3: And,
1: and maybe that's what it is for me too. It just, like I said, it feels like them uh, maybe doing something they'd done before.
2: Yeah. And it's, it, it really is kind of a, abrasive t- sex too it's like it's kind of violent and maybe that's what they wanted to the song is called fucking drawing flies and then i immediately think of cat turds uh so uh <laughs> anyway what do we have for a rating on drawing flies it doesn't sound like unless you have more but i just it's like we want to elaborate much more <laughs>
1: uh, yeah i don't i don't really have I, I i the only other thing i wanted to say is it it is quick it ends before it really gets established i
2: did i did want to say that bass breakdown at that, uh, where it's just the the bass, drums, and vocal, is kind of badass. Right after the fucking sax you. solo, <laughs> uh,
1: you can't deny it. Yeah, I mean the Shepard and Cameron. I mean, just phew, they're just firing, man. They they clicked right away. I'm assuming.
0: Yeah, it had uh, yes, to be
1: easy. I, I'm going to give this uh, two and a half free BMG CDs. <laughs>
2: Uh, can I give it four Columbia House the CDs I didn't pay for? <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> I just I feel like we're we're not giving them the, the proper respect of of CD theft. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, the next track, Holy Water. Maybe this one perks you up a little bit.
1: perks me up this is we're we're back we're firing again this is a this is a great riff great Cornell vocals I love this chorus Uh, this is one of the best choruses on this album it is so powerful and then you got this amazing nod to Hendrix lead backwards kind of thing going on
2: oh I didn't even pick up on that that's brilliant
1: it's it's short and to the point but it's it's so reminiscent of a of a Hendrix style riff or Hendrix style lead. And then this is the one that I wrote. The, uh, the third verse, the riff is so King Crimson. This is so Robert Fripp to me.
2: Okay. It, it's funny that you said it's short because I wrote down, this is the fastest five minute song I've ever heard. It does not feel five minutes long at all. It feels like a three and a half minute track.
1: No, the lead is short. The guitar. Oh, lead. is Oh, okay. That's what well, I, was
2: uh, well I, th- I thought we had something, but I guess not. Uh,
1: uh. <laughs> <laughs> great outro on this song too. Amazing, just th- they're so great about um, you know bringing in a, almost like a symphony where they they bring in parts and yeah. they, I guess that, that's a nod to their their proggy thing again. But they have intros and outros, and not every band was doing that.
2: No, no definitely not. Uh, I love that line. Holy water is rusting me. It's just a brilliant lyric, uh, and then of course the way Amazing. he fucking sings it, it just it's like.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> just holds it out forever and just Sorry. nails it. Oh, my God. That guy was amazing.
2: And and on the second chorus, we, let's give uh, a little more blow to Matt Cameron here. He play, On the second chorus, I, I I didn't hear it on the first one. He plays the first half of the second chorus pretty straight and then almost goes halftime on the second half of it. And it, you don't even know really what's going on, but I'm like, he, he could – I think when he gets bored, he just has to come up with a drum part to keep things interesting for him, so he doesn't get distracted. Like you know, because you know, drummers are pretty simple guys.
1: They are. He he, he goes into his "What would Bill Bruford do" mode.
2: <laughs> never heard that name before until today. Now now it's just uh it's going to be a thing.
1: I bet you will never hear it again on Covers and Fire.
2: <laughs> I bet I'll never hear it again. <laughs> <laughs> Unless I'm hanging out with Cisco. (laughs) Oh
1: man! So holy water. Let's give it a rating, man. This is. uh, I'm going to tie this to the uh, the concert that I saw because they Mm. played this song. So this is going to get five. This is going to five pre-show fights.
2: (laughs) I also gave it five pre-show fights. I kind of want to go to Atlanta now. Well here we uh with the record closes out with uh, this is the one track that like when I was looking at the I was like I, I just couldn't remember how it went looking at the song title and the the album closes with New Damage.
1: This is very skin yard
3: to me oh wow this
1: comes across very skin yard and i know those bands were tight so i don't know if that was on purpose or if it just reminds me of something they would have done but um that was the first thing and that's you know the other thing i wrote is this is pure sludge this is them doing just a sludgy when you think a grunge and the tone and what was coming across from a you know a sonic's perspective this is that sludgy song and uh, I used to make mixtapes back in the day for my friends because I had so much weird music. And I, I La- remember
2: lady friends.
1: I wish no, it's mostly dudes. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies didn't want to listen to what I was listening to. Unfortunately,
2: yeah, I found that out too.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I, but I do remember putting together these a collection of grunge tapes for people and i would call them muck instead of grunge i call them muck
2: so and you're so like this- uh uh what do you think tonight there uh uh hot girl uh salty dog or black-eyed susan yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> you you, uh,
1: you know that i know who dizzy dean is
2: uh, anyway, i'm sorry <laughs> no worries carry on <laughs> carry on
1: no, I was just going to say, so I, I would put this song on that. I remember on the one of the mixtapes I called Muck. And this, okay. this to me, fits that title of Muck. <laughs> this is just a sludgy tune. Uh, the riff and the chorus is fantastic. And uh, I wrote here, So see see what you think. But other than Skin Yard, the other thing that came across to me is a very Rollins-esque last half of End of Silence. If you go back to End of Silence album, Rollins Band. This song kind of fits that mold as well.
2: I don't know that band enough to to to, to comment on that. <laughs> so really,
1: that was another one. That was uh, at the same time. That was another one of the albums that we were rocking out at least in our dorm room with okay. with this album.
2: That explains the uh, lack of squish. But uh, um, <laughs> I, I I said the last song was a a very fast five minutes. This is a very slow five minutes for me. I I the okay. melody is pretty lacking. This is kind of like. I do think this would be, if I took one song off, it would be this. It's fine as a closure, to be honest with you. You want to put the album together and and package it this way, I'll listen to the whole thing. That'll be the only time I'll listen to this, though. Unlike a lot of the records on here, there are like playlist kind of tracks on on this album that I will just cherry-pick out and just crank this shit out of you know especially we're talking the, the tracks on signed one but at the oh, same yeah. time this is a fun album to listen to and in that sense i think this it, it fits better than it does as a standalone track i think holy water would have been a fine closer uh it, would. Uh, it, it and it just it, oh just the rust in me da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da, i don't know but that said uh what do we have for a rating here on new damage
1: I think I like this probably a little more than you. I give this four muckety-mucks.
2: Okay. I'm not too far behind you. I give it three muckety-mucks. So, uh, I, I, again, I, I think it's the lowest rating I gave of anything on the record. But I should mention, I, I did note, and I, I don't think we've talked about Kim Thale enough. This song, he does a lot of really cool playing on this track as far as like some of his, his uh, the way he approaches things. Uh, I know Chris gets a lot of the credit because he, he's a songwriter, but, man, Kim was just the perfect guitar player for this band and and Chris actually worked off a hymn for the songs they for this for this band and, and, and this song is a great example of that and that'd probably be the one standout reason to, to kind of listen to it as, as a fan it really does showcase him versus you know we we've given a lot of love to Cameron and, and Ben Shepherd and of course Cornell next world singer but uh, uh, yeah Kim Thale was really the guy for this band and, and deserves you know a a good chunk of credit man i
1: agree it's kind of funny that we got all the way through the end of this album when we hadn't mentioned
2: his name once (laughs) (laughs) i don't really know at least once maybe but yeah Yeah. he he definitely deserves it you know what i mean like he, he he is so key to what they do here i was gonna
1: i was gonna say along with with cornell he was the the other person that was talked about at the time and still really those are the two guys you think of and of course we've been giving a lot of love to the rhythm section which you know thank you very much but um yeah he was he's an amazing guitar player, and nobody sounded like him
2: in a scene that really kind of needed that. you know what I mean all these kind of musicians they all kind of stood out and it was kinda neat, kind of like cantrell in a way you know he was
1: the he was a guitar hero, but he wasn't a guitar hero, but very much in the camp of cantrell,
2: yeah I think Cantrell probably actually is a guitar hero, but it, Kim Thale definitely was like i mean he was on the guitar magazines he was everywhere he was. Mm-hmm. Always yep. being talked about, you know, so yeah it, it it seems like as time has gone on because he kind of really just stepped away when Soundgarden took a break, did you really didn't hear from him until they came back that's probably to his detriment to, in this sense, so but yeah we he he's fucking pretty killer, yep, agreed, all right, well, I always give the 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 guests the last final thoughts, so here's my my final thoughts on the record um you know I, I've basically shared a lot of personal stuff during this series. That, that has basically been dug up going through it. I don't have anything new to, to add there, so I'm just going to uh, go straight to the record. This record showed me that Soundgarden, we're really in a different league than anybody else from that scene. You know what I mean? They just, they, and, and, and these are all amazing bands that we talk about here, but they just were, as musicians and a band, probably more importantly, were, were just on a different level. And that's not taking anything away from anybody else, but. I read in Mark Yarm's book, "Everybody Loves Our Town," and I I apologize, I forget who said it, but it was somebody talking about a show they had played with Soundgarden, where they actually headlined over Soundgarden earlier in the days. But like he said, like everybody knew Soundgarden was better than everybody else in the scene because they had Chris Cornell, and and I mentioned it earlier. He was definitely riding a creative wave from Temple of the Dog going into this thing. It's just it's amazing how. I don't know, just how much he put out there during this short period of time. And I'm not talking about his life. I'm talking about like 90 to 92. He just cranked out some gold. Uh, he was just, I don't know, whatever, just knocking to the park. But the, for the music, to the melody, to the lyrics, he, he was a next level a talent. And then you talk about him as a singer. He's he's one of the probably five greatest rock vocalists of all time, period. Uh this record stays at number two for me. Uh, Rolling Stone got this one right. My guest, Kevin Williams.
1: I was going to say the exact same thing, that Rolling Stone actually got this one right. Uh, this is the number two best grunge album of all time. and In my opinion, I don't think Soundgarden would ever get to this level again. As good as the rest of their their albums are, to me, this is the pinnacle. This is the height of Soundgarden firing on all cylinders. And this is what, you know, before this, people knew who Chris Cornell was, but this established him as a just a icon, you know, just a rock icon, a god in, in the, you know, sense of a vocalist and a presence. And, um, you know, they carried all this forward with their next releases, but to me, musically, they never got to the same place. This is just a a golden album to me.
2: Tell the audience about the In Obscuria podcast, where they can find you, and what's going on over there, man.
1: Yeah, so uh, if you want to check out what we're all about, go to inobscuria.com. But basically, uh, the tagline there is, uh, we talk about the lost, the forgotten, and the should have been. So I take from my personal collection, everything that we play is something that I own. And I, I take pride in that in a way, and sometimes I don't take pride in that. But um, <laughs> we we basically take uh, various themes, uh, genres, or decades, or uh, what have you. But we just uh, make a you know our purpose to either play something that either you've forgotten, maybe at one point it was big, but you know, only for a minute and most people have forgotten it or we'll play a band that no one's ever heard of. We even do some local bands. Sometimes I even play my own band and nobody's ever heard of that band. So, uh, <laughs> you know, and we do, we know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then things that have been lost, you know, maybe they, maybe it's a band that had a push and for whatever reason, it just didn't, didn't click with people. So we try to search out those things that are a little more obscure, um, I try to stay away from the bands that everybody knows, but I may tie, I may tie a band back to a, a big band like Metallica. Like we did a yeah. we did a show on Metallica bands that were made by Metallica, so things like that.
2: <laughs> it was a very smooth first episode, probably one of the most polished first episodes of a podcast I've ever heard. Was it something that you were sitting on for a while? Like, uh, had you kind of like? Um, I don't know, fleshed it out for proof of concept, kind of thing there? Uh,
1: no, not at all. Uh, in fact, it's our first episode, is still our number one download. And I listened back to it recently and I was like, oh, this is horrible. I thought it was horrible. But no, I, I just kind of came up with the idea. And what really makes the podcast work is really my co-host. Mm-hmm. Um, just me talking about obscure music, people would snore. But what <laughs> I do is I, I spring this stuff on him. He has no clue what we're going to talk. And so he is truly reacting a lot of times to something he's hearing for the first time. And uh, I go back a long, long time with this guy, Robert Harrison. And he's uh, he was a guitarist in a band. Uh, that I was in in the late '90s, early 2000s called Big Jack Nematic, and you know he was the front man. So he's got he's got that going for him. He's got some charisma, and he's just a, a unique dude. And he always comes with a different approach. He looks at things a lot differently than I would. So that's what really makes it click.
2: I'm guessing people who listen to this show uh, are, are familiar with it, but if you haven't checked it out, I highly recommend it. It is it is it's it's good to you know you always want two good hosts. And that always makes or breaks pretty much anything. you know. No matter how good you are at, uh, or knowledgeable of the topic, if you're not entertaining, it's not great. And so, yeah, the, the back and forth between the two of you, it does work very well, and I highly recommend it.
1: Thanks, man. Appreciate it.
2: And and for those who uh, we actually have been friends now for a couple of years we met in Nashville at Rock and Pod before you started a podcast uh, um I think <laughs> I think Chris, Chris Sinzak introduced you to me um and I, I remember like the first uh, my first memory of you is that like uh it was like f- uh Friday to Saturday you had two different uh, denim vest uh, loaded with all different band patches, I was like, "Okay, y- this is commitment. Uh, this is uh, yeah. y- you've you definitely earned your uh, your Holmec badge." So,
1: yeah. yeah, I like I like my battle vest, and of course, one of the only places I can wear my battle vest these days is at the Rock and Pod Expo. So, yeah. Yeah. So. I have my original from the, from the eighties, which is mostly hair bands and, and, uh, thrash bands. And so that was, you know, that's one that I wear. And then I have one that's a little more current that I've had since the, call it the late nineties, early two thousands.
2: So. That's, right. On. That's well, uh, we're definitely looking forward to seeing you again uh, this summer. So.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I thought it was funny. The the first year I, I walk in and I see Ken Mills sitting in the hotel lounge as, as I walk in with my buddy and, Uh, you know, I go up and talk to him, but at the same time I'm feeling like, um, like I'm not, I don't have a podcast. So these guys are going to think I'm just some weirdo who (laughs) listens to podcasts and decided to travel to see them. So it was a little odd. And then I run into Sinzak and he goes, Hey man, Baco's here. he didn't even talk to me He goes, Hey man, Baco's here. He's (laughs) over there. (laughs) Which is the first time we met.
2: Yeah. Okay. No, no, it was good. I remember, like, we hung out. We actually talked probably for the most part the first time, if I recall right, it uh, was that the Ron Keel. The, the, the that that it wasn't Ron Keel. He was the first band, uh, like, with Angel that night. But I remember right. we, uh, uh, inside and outside, we, we, we caught up a little bit. And then I talked to you the next day and all that good stuff. But, you know, it was, uh, it's uh, uh, it, it, it's been a friendship that I've enjoyed. So Me too, man. Well, thank you so much, uh, Kevin, for coming on the show. Uh, definitely check out the Eating Obscura podcast. It's one of my favorites, uh, it's one that I go to weekly. All the best to you and yours. And, and, and thank you again. I, I couldn't have enjoyed this more.
1: Whatever, dude. All right, never mind.
2: anything there <laughs> oh. <laughs> i was gonna say agreed, I, do edit, but I felt yeah. like i already said that okay yeah.
0: it's nfl draft season and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football